0: Hi, I'm Luisa Portugal, and
1: I'm Ria Almeida. Welcome to a very special podcast episode. Today, we're going to be trying something a little different, a little new, and this will actually serve as a pilot for our upcoming New Policy podcast series. So stay tuned for that.
0: We have here as a veteran podcaster, Professor Tom Blaylock, Clinical Assistant Professor of Public Policy. He's here to have a conversation with us about the art of podcasting and the role of communication in politics.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And it's uh, you said you're nervous. I have a panel of top Wagner students here that I'm supposed to impress <laughs> <laughs> with some knowledge of. Like, oh wait, I'm I'm going to tell you about the history of podcasting. I don't know. Is that really going to happen today? Maybe.
0: <laughs> High expectations
1: here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But also, I feel like to that introduction, we should add that Professor Blaylock, while he teaches public policy communications in his spare time, hosts his own podcast called Dungeon Dad, <laughs> yes. and we would oh, love geez. to learn a little more about that.
2: Oh man! So I, I'm not, I, I did not <laughs> think that was going to make it in the final edit here. <laughs>
1: For um, sure, yeah, right up front.
2: I, yeah, I have a, um, I do, I do have a, uh, a group of. Uh, four friends that we've been friends forever. We used to collaborate on, uh, actually wrote movie scripts together. when We were younger and we three or four years ago realized we were the lamest men in the world. We <laughs> weren't making good friends in the cities where we live. And so we started collaborate. We tried to collaborate on, on things. And so we started talking about playing a game. One of my friends was a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd in uh, in high school. And he was like, we're all storytellers. We should totally do this.
0: So. Right. What are some of your favorite podcasts, you would say? Do you have like a list?
2: Early days, even before he was on uh, iTunes, Dan Carlin had this. He's a history. He has yeah, a, yeah website the- called Hardcore History. I, I want to say it was back maybe in 2008, 2007, I found he did a Julius Caesar. Like, what if Julius Caesar would have... Made enemies with Mark Antony. It was like a. It was like a. What What if yeah. this would have happened? Right. There was no reason for these two to get, to get along, and he had like a six hour audio book essentially. Yeah. And I was like, it's so cool because it's not like him reading that episode of his podcast. Was the first one I was like, oh man, it's it's like an old radio show, but it's got something else going on because it's so intimate. It's like it feels like from his mouth to my ears. In a way that i feel like radio shows didn't at least to me resonate that way and so that that was like the first time i realized how different this medium was as like both art form and as mode of communication
1: it's funny that you bring up a very famous radio talk show host like dan carlin he was all radio and then until he became podcasting now in research for this discussion i was looking up where the word podcasting was first used uh-huh. And it was actually used by a journalist named Ben Hamilsey when he was talking about what he described the new wave of internet radio broadcasting. Uh-huh. And that was back in 2004. So he was comparing like podcast to internet radio broadcasting.
2: Is that, is that before the iPod? It's, it's during the iPod. Because I mean, I feel like that was, I, I, don't, I don't feel like people were using the word pod for anything. Uh, that was a very <laughs> Apple specific thing. I'm trying, when, when did the iPod come out? Like 99?
1: probably something, so this is something like
2: that. that yeah you're like i, I, don't, I don't know before i, don't know. I was born like, oh. <laughs> 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 they are all assholes
0: <laughs> probably born in
2: the 90s sometime Ugh.
0: no but uh, going back to one point that you talked earlier that i really want to talk a little more about is how is how are podcasts different from a radio show because they really feel different
2: i'm sure everyone has their ideas about this for for me i think the podcast was sort of a precursor for like the way people want to consume their media, like, and in radio, there was just no way to binge listen to anything. So the right. sort of narrative radio of the twenties and thirties, you know, the first 15 minutes of every episode was like, and here's what you missed in the last episode, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. Martha fell in love with what, you know, and so they would have it. And they weren't, playing a recorded version of it, they would actually have to redo scenes again live. And I think the po- I think the podcasting when it came in, they were like, this is something we can do. And people will find you if you're not doing a news show, like people will find you and then they will listen if they like you. They will listen to everything you've got in your catalog.
1: I started recently listening to WTF by Mark Marin.
2: Which oh, actually great. started
1: back in like two thousand and nine and I it just randomly came into my Spotify suggestions of podcasts. Yeah. So I started listening to it and it is a wormhole of content, right? You do yeah. the the first two recent episodes and then I went back and started listening to his like two thousand and eleven and two thousand and twelve content. Mm-hmm. And I think that because each episode is its own story, that also gives podcasts. Maybe a little more for people to come into and say, "I don't have to follow the whole thing."
2: Yeah, I think for sure. I, the other thing I think we are building this really interesting time capsule, and I, we're doing it. With, we're doing it with everything. Um, but uh, I mean, just imagine. I, I so so for someone like me, I'm such a dork for some of these things. Like, if I could go and I could just listen to, I would just choose a year. I would say 1957. <laughs> April 1st and if I could listen to NBC nightly news yeah. starting from there and, you know because there's so many things that will will be like a big deal that have not made that didn't make the cut for history right like mm-hmm. there are things that people were freaking out about 1957 in the in April and I you know so I would love to do that and and maybe it's like really um egotistical or narcissistic mm-hmm. but like I think that there's going to be a lot from this period of the world, um, you know, the last 15 years or so that I, I mean, in good ways and bad ways, honestly, like.
0: Yeah. And I can't imagine how entertaining it's going to be if like 20, 30 years from now, people can go back and start to listen to a political podcast in 2016 and like see our trajectory since then, because it's been crazy And I remember, like, I remember back in Brazil following up the 2016 elections, and I was actually looking at 538 and the Young Turks, because the Young Turks was like a thing back then.
1: One of the first podcasts that came out of the White House was actually in 2005, where George W. Mm. Bush decided to use the medium to just put his weekly addresses through podcasts. So it was just like taking stuff that he was saying into a mic anyway and putting it into the podcast, um, medium, but yeah. that wasn't, that's not content creation, right? It's not podcast creation, but now the kind of political podcast that exists with NPR, iHeartRadio, I mean, we're big fans of Michael Barbaro's The Daily. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: so good. So <laughs> good. So good. <laughs> oh my God. I just listened. I went down the rabbit hole. Um, uh, Ted Cruz has a, uh, has a podcast.
0: Oh my god! they have to listen to no, that. No, I'm
2: telling you. I'm telling you. It's amazing. It's it's amazing. And he's not. I mean, like, I full disclosure. My sister is an attorney in Houston. Uh, she went against him in a couple of cases before he became a politician. And she was like she she told me, she was like, Oh my god, this guy's gonna be president. He's amazing. And I was like, I was like, really? So I hadn't heard anything about him. And then he like jumped on with the Tea Party stuff and I was like, I don't think this is the same person you're talking about, Heather. <laughs> and she was like, No, he is he's she's like, he's so astute. Like if he's saying this, it's because he sees some like political opening in this world or whatever.
0: Was he right? Right, the party was like the beginner of this whole thing that we have right now.
2: Yeah, yep. I mean, it's it's um it's it's truly wild. But his podcast is on uh, it's on the same podcast network that um uh Ben um Shapiro ben has, has yeah. the, the Daily Daily Mail or whatever it is. Um,
0: yeah. And it's
2: one of the people who is on is who is on there is the co host and sort of like keeps everything moving forward. Uh, I think Eric Weinstein was was on there. I didn't know who oh, he yeah. was before. I think it should be required listening for my students. And in fact, I'm at like communication You're skills amazing. this semester is going to have to listen to that episode because both of those dudes understand all, well, all three of them who were on there understand the medium, understand the power of it. That guy is diametrically opposed to almost everything I have like <laughs> thought about my whole life. But I was like, oh, like, this is a side of, you know, stonewalling the Supreme Court nomination of um, Obama's... Supreme Court pick. Uh, it starts with an M. I'm blanking. Oh, Merrick
1: Garland. Merrick Garland. Oh God. Oh, yeah.
2: But like that is yeah. I mean, you can see how like the world has affected me. Like that seemed like <laughs> that seemed like the end of democracy. And I was and and to listen to Ted Cruz talk about it, I was like, oh, like this is a narrative that I was completely separated from. So you can be in this little box of like, I don't know what Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell like. I thought they didn't have a heart, but now I'm like, there might be something in their heart that I just can't understand. Like I just, you know, for various reasons. Um, <laughs> anyway.
0: and But that's something that's really interesting about podcasts. And I think going back a little to what we were talking earlier, when you listen to a political commentator in a podcast, it's so different from reading something in print paper because you're really connecting to this person, right? You are not just taking their political opinion at face value, you feel included in the conversation yeah. in some ways, even when you can't answer back.
2: I also think, you know, because it can be so specialized, there is and and this part you know, for me, there's a little bit of disconnect on social media. Like I I need to be more active because of various things that I'm involved in. But at some point I'm just kind of like, ugh, I just can't with this anymore. Like, like I I I I'm just not, I'm not a Twitter guy. Like I'm on Twitter, but I'm just not a. good, am just not, I'm not good at it. I don't understand it. I see something like I get like I, two days ago, I had 36 mentions. I didn't know what that meant. I clicked on them and, 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 and one of them was just like, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, I don't know what the antecedent to this is. Like, how can I figure out, like, where can I find the, sh- the string right that started what? this thing? <laughs> That's right. I, and, and, and of course my friend is like, you have to click on it and then you scroll up and I'm like, Everything else, you scroll down. And they're like, okay, but don't be a dick. Like, just, like, just, just scroll up. Like, you know, it's not a big deal. Now you know. um
1: I feel uh, like I should insert an okay boomer meme I, right here. It, it, don't.
2: I'm not a boomer. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I am Gen X. I'm Gen X. I'm the generation that doesn't matter. Like that's the right. that's that's what I am. um Yeah. I, yeah. I think what happens is like we talk about echo chambers, and you know you end up the Young Turks has something and then another smaller podcast will sort of maybe not talk about some different angle of it. And, you know, maybe it will get brought up in the daily or in a New York times article or something like that. And maybe, you know, Trevor Noah picks it up or picks up, makes some mention of it. And at that point that feels like common living room knowledge of the nation. The Supreme Court case uh, about the Alabama funeral parlor, basically saying that like trans counts as sort of sex when it comes Mm -hmm. to discrimination. And, you know, if you listen to one group of podcasts, that was one of the only topics of conversation for several weeks. And every time some motion was filed in a court, an amicus brief was filed, something like that. Like it it resurfaced. I I work really hard to listen now to as many different communities of media as possible. And I can tell you someone like Ben Shapiro covered it. And he covered it in the context of you guys, the leftists are talking about this. You need to tune in because this matters and 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 they are talking about it
0: when I was trying to think about the podcast that I listen, of course they are all very left leaning but they kind of like go all the range. We are saying like the daily, which is very like neutral, you know informative journalistic speaking,
2: then I, it go like- i mean i mean it, it, the the evidence presented is 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 neutralish. The the topics chosen are not right, like like that's that's the that that's the sort of rub about all these things is like what we decide to talk about is as big a decision as how we decide to talk about it. Sorry,
1: yeah. Yeah. Setting the agenda setting that he does is extremely like it's it's left of
2: center for sure.
0: It's left of center is just like the closest of center that I have in my list because yeah. yeah. (laughs) we go down to like, you know, the last podcast on the left and like Pod Save America. And then you go even like I was saying like the Chapel Trap House, which is a very interesting case study, I think, in podcasts in general. But I went to look on the iTunes chart. And I don't know if that's my confirmation bias, but it seems that podcasts are mostly occupied by the left. We do have Ben Shapiro and we do have like, this whole network, but why do you think that we have this divide there? Or am I completely wrong? I,
2: I don't know if you're completely... So so anything I say from this point on is yeah. going to be completely pulling it out of my ass, okay? okay? So looking at download numbers of some of these other sort of right yeah. conservative folks, I don't think there is a podcaster that has as many downloads from People between twenty five and fifty, as Ben Shapiro, right now, like, wow. like you know, there are of single of single human beings who are who are like not part of a like a team. You know, NBC Nightly News has a pretty big download. Rachel Maddow has a huge mm-hmm. download uh, number, but if you start to look at those numbers, uh, there's a site called Chartable that you can you can look at that that has decent data on app usage and how long people listen and how much there's start and stop. And it, there's a, there was a, um, when I was, when we first started our podcast, we saw that like the like one of the most reliable numbers is the number of, of people who start and stop and start and stop your podcast are actual listeners versus people who turn it on and run, work out, have it on the car, maybe, it's on in the background that sort of thing very few people for instance start and stop Rachel Maddow i also think that conservatives kind of own radio and i think one of the one of the things that is going to be the biggest sea change that you haven't talked about or heard about maybe you've heard about it is you know rush limbaugh is going off and yeah. somebody's going to replace him and there's a lot of contenders Rush Limbaugh has been the soul of rural conservative thinking for 30 years, 35 years. And he's very, very good at what he does. And that's a show that lasts four hours and people listen to that and they don't download the podcast very much. They tune in on radio and it's on and they'll have it on. Um, You know, the number of mechanics shops in Sullivan County, where I currently am, that has the Rush Limbaugh on from, you know, 8 a.m. to noon. It's a high. It's a high number. And that's syndicated. And so it plays that you you can probably find it on an a.m. station at all hours of the day.
1: I mean, that brings us back to our echo chambers, right, because we consume a lot of this content in general, our podcast content ends up being like that too, which I think actually brings me to my question about what is the role of podcasts in the upcoming election and how voters consume that content?
2: Okay, this is gonna make me controversial. I I was teaching at Columbia University in 2015, 2016. And earlier, I went to see Trump at his announcement. So I was one of the few non actors that was at the Trump Tower (laughs) when he came out. I I watched how he used the media and I watched how he sort of handled that sort of in person interaction. And I was just positive oh. he was going to win the presidency at that point. I was positive because I am from a, I have a lot of conservative people in my life that I love a lot and that we talk a lot. And I think it's a very conservative country that we live in. And I don't think it's an anomaly that the last the last four years, 2016, like I don't, I don't think that was an aberration in our history. I think it was a fairly straightforward movement uh, from one thing to the next to the next. Right. And so because of that, I think that the role podcasts are going to play is going to be to more middle of the road people who are looking for a rational minded like person they can understand that doesn't sound like a crazy person, that doesn't make them feel like racist, doesn't make them feel like they are bad people if they want to vote Republican.
1: Uh, and I always talk about we come from countries where the spectrum is very different from the political spectrum in the US, right? Yeah, like yeah. In, in both our countries, when we say the left, Of center, we actually mean these hardcore working rights parties, they've been born out of labor movements. They're very similar to the kind of politics that Bernie stands for. And that's what the left means. That's what, you know, the opposition to someone like Trump's politics is. But here the opposition to someone like Trump's politics is so centrist, someone like Joe Biden, he's barely center. He's like, I don't know, puts both feet on both sides of the center. (laughs)
2: I mean, maybe, I don't know, he would, he will be, if he's elected, he will be probably the most, the farthest left president we've ever had. I mean, I I think, um I think whoever wins in 2020 is going to have a very hard time. I think their party is probably going to lose in 2024. I, wow. I, I, I just, I don't, I, I, I just don't see, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't see a swift. Uh, re- I don't see a swift return to something that looks like normalcy, where we wake up in the morning and if you recently graduated from grad school or college or high school and you're like, it's time for me to get a job. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't. Th- I think we're still not going to know what that means. What what is normal in four years? Uh, and and I don't think it's just about. COVID. i think it's i think that um i don't know it feels like we're in the middle of revolution in all the bad ways this is this is where i'm becoming more <laughs> moderate in my like age is that i don't believe that my side is gonna win i worry we will i worry we're gonna end up with a situation where we'll all make a concerted effort to destroy institutions. Like, like, you know, I, this is, this is the, this is the thing about Trump, right? Like I, I don't believe in institutions. There's the deep state, there's this. And, and now it's like people talking about destroying the institutions that Trump didn't destroy, that Trump held up. And like, I, I, really worry that the whole, the idea of destroying institutions itself is the thing that is like super dangerous. Um, you know, like I, I'm looking like, you know, New York city is going to have to release a budget. The police are going to be way lower funded this time around. That's fine. The sort of campaign zero, you know, research about where to put the money that you take away from, from police departments. That's not going to happen. Like, like, We're defunding institutions because we're going bankrupt, and I worry that the politics of of institution destroying is going to feed right into like some pretty nasty other side of the aisle stuff.
0: Yeah, there's one now, like one of my favorite authors. um, He's a French philosopher called Jacques Rancière. And he has this book called *Dissensus*, where he starts saying that the real political debate is not between someone that says white and someone that says black, but with two people that say white, but they mean different things yeah. when it, when they say that. And I think that's very clear when it comes to like nowadays speech presentation, where both parties—and here in America it happens, in Brazil it happens a lot, I'm sure in India it happens as well—where both parties say they are pro-democracy. That they want to fix institutions, that they want to cease corruption, and that they want, to, like, you know, to improve the country. Both parties say the same thing, but they say they mean completely different things when they say that.
2: Yeah, and and I also I will out myself here. I was a big Hillary supporter in mm-hmm. two thousand eight. Um, I was someone who did not think Barack Obama was ready to be president of the United States. I thought we had a big, 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 big problem with a division in our country and that, you know, even though, even though she was listed as like the most hated person in politics in America at that time, I just thought she's such a functionary. Like she's such a bureaucrat. She's such like a, like a (laughs) Cuomo-esque, like, you know, like she knows the numbers and she believes in the numbers and her speeches were all like concrete and like real suggestions and Obama was like really good orator and he was saying very little in his orations to me that was really scary i teach communications and i really want my students to like be clear like i want people to like form an idea and make it so the person who's next to you understands the thing that is in your brain and can agree or disagree but have a conversation about that thing And political speech all across this country is better if you let the imagination of your listener fill in the gaps so they can say things like, Trump is going to be great because he stands with labor, (laughs) right? (laughs) Trump is going to be great because he is like a hardcore, he's against like fascism. Trump is going to be great because we need someone who understands the swamp to drain the swamp it was really hard to get people interested in minutia like in small yeah. details of policy it was really hard to get them interested for years and it seems like it's really easy to get people interested and outraged about things um, mm-hmm. you know if you followed if you were uh, sort of following yep. in 2011 2012 like net neutrality yeah the number of like the number of people who were more passionate about that than something like, you know, Wisconsin no. throwing out unions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's fascinating, <laughs> crazy, and yeah. and may and maybe it is as consequential. I don't know, but like that is a good example of something that like we've had hundreds of people killed in labor riots in this country in our not too distant yeah. past where people were literally willing to die so that they could have their union?
1: So back in 2016, I was in India, and we were watching American politics unfold. And it was a really interesting moment to just watch, because 2016 is also the year of Harambe, right? And it was a year of outrage that and it became global outrage, it became global news. And we're all reading about this gorilla story in 2016, which is a very important political year for the US and we're reading about this gorilla story. And I think that it's like a switch flipped where we were watching American politics and started to say, Okay, this is getting a bit ridiculous. This is yeah. it's getting the outrage of people is getting hard to watch now.
2: And. I think you need to tell people uh, because there will be people who do not know uh, the species of Harambe who are listening to this. I guarantee you. Do you, you you should tell them because because there will be people who listen and they're like I'm outraged about Harambe still to this day I think that that is an organization that which yeah. should which Nigeria should do away with. <laughs> Literally, there's someone who's listening who's a smart person who's thinking that right so, now.
1: there's a there's a joke by the comedian Michael Shea that he does in his show Michael Shea Matters,
2: okay. where
1: he says um, if every gorilla in the yeah. world died tomorrow, how long before you notice?
0: I always think about something that <laughs> dear Professor Gershman said to us in a, one of our classes in our first semester. Shout out, Professor Gershman. Guy. Oh,
2: my God. What an amazing <laughs> professor. Yeah. I, wish, I wish I could, yeah. I wish I could take his he class. He said something <laughs> uh,
0: that the most important resource when it comes to policies and politics is attention. Nothing is more important than to be able to capture the attention of the public and for how long you can. Mm-hmm and i think that's something that trump completely like he masters it better than anyone
2: I, I, have you guys thought about what would make a good wall
0: a good wall what a wall, good wall <laughs> between a good america wall?
2: and mexico because because <laughs> because i have yeah. and like i have done the thought work yeah only because like people talk about that shit like we're talking about that all the time and i was like well
0: one thing that i think we could close out with you teach communication skills for policy analysts at Wagner. Yeah. And what do you think that we have to do in 2020, 2021 to grab the attention of the public? What are the essential communication skills for policy analysts, you know, so we can like really capture the attention of the public?
2: So I, I, this is a really good question. Um I I, I tried to name my class manipulation in a good way and that was turned down by my colleagues because they're like we don't want the New York Times to come and say you have a class called manipulation and it's like yeah. no but also in a good way like you know <laughs> hey um, uh, y- you know it's it's knowing who you're talking to knowing like what you want to get out of a piece of communication and then tailoring that piece of communication to that purpose. And hopefully there's a bigger purpose too. Um, But policy analysts who are hired to take take, take a look at data and like dive through it and come up with good answers, their audience is usually going to be the kind of people who we need to grab the attention of others. And they don't usually grab the attention with data. So then the question is, for those policy analysts, for Wagner folks who are, you know, data driven and want to like help make the right decisions. Like your job is going to be translating this stuff three or four different ways so that you can say, see, this is the right decision because you want to do this. If you do this, we have a lot of reason to think this will happen. This will be that you, you will get the thing that you want out of this. And then, you know, Here is how you need to package this message because this spreadsheet that I made you like it's too complicated. And also, and this is something this is big for me with my with my students is that, you know, you have to be ready to change your mind. If what you're saying is not going to lead you to the promised land that you hope it is, got to be willing to accept that someone who is a lot different from you has a better idea than you.
0: No. Yeah, that was great. Um, I think that's a great way for us to close out this interview. Thank you so much for taking your time to come here. Um yeah. Yeah. Thank
2: you. And uh and I'm I'm hoping some uh, some students uh show up in my class in the spring, which is open to not just master of science and public policy people. I teach people how to make podcasts. And <laughs> please do not listen to the Dungeon Dads podcast (laughs) if you don't want to have your opinion of me completely ruined by having a different context (laughs) to know me in.
0: Links for both the class and the podcast will be on the the
1: description. (laughs) You're the
2: worst. You're the worst. Be well, you guys. But
1: thank you so much.